you've been looking for a podcast to help you transform your physical and mental one that'll shoot you straight between the eyes with truth and no bs helping you have the right mindset to accomplish things the iron will and fortitude to follow through with what you say you're going to do no excuses Mark owns martial arts schools, and after 30 years, he has some real insight for real talk, real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox. I have now. Good morning, John. Mr. Graydon, how are you, sir? Doing great. Looking forward to this park. So nice. Yes. Meeting. So you look great, man. By the way. So you're out there in uh, in God's country, Florida. And, uh, and I I'm love on the. Florida. Yes, I'm on the. Well, I remember, man. We 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 met because we used to fly down to you all the time uh, during your seminar. So those that don't know, I've known John for many many years. He's helped thousands upon thousands of us have successful schools. When uh, we didn't really understand the business of martial arts, John Graydon was there. And so with no further ado, John, I want to see, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and where you live and your family, and then we'll, we'll get into the meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about. Sound good? Sure. It, okay. Here's the quick timeline. I was a chubby, very shy kid. I grew up in a family that was loving, but it was violent. There was, there was a very, sh- my father had a temper that I described as being a matchstick drenched in gasoline. He loved us dearly. He's so proud of his boys, but he, he did not have a, a, a foundation of how to teach children. So it became very much like he was raised. You know, you, you get Morse code. as <laughs> <laughs> I got Morse code. Yeah, you know, we got Morse code in those days. So uh, and, you know, kids were bullying me and I was fat and, and the girl jumped on my my head and smashed it into the ground in second grade. So I had a silver tooth all the way up through high school and then braces and all that stuff. So he one day he took us to a movie called The Five Fingers of Death, which, if you may recall, was the first of the Kung Fu films back in 1974. <laughs> and it I was remember. Stinker of a film. But we'd never seen anything like that before. These guys were flying through the air, kicking each other. We were taught, you know, you never kick a guy in the groin. They didn't just kick it. They ripped it out. <laughs> That's <laughs> they, right. Yeah. And then, you know, fight 20 minutes long. And it was just insane. And at the end of the, 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 ter- the, at the end of the movie, the hero turns to his hand. It starts to shake. It gets real red. And he smashes through a wall and grabs the guy by the throat. And he kills him with his five fingers of death. <laughs> I was sitting in the Largo theater going, oh, man, I want that. And this was, I didn't know who Bruce Lee was. I remember Cato from right. Green Hornet. And I remember Green Hornet, yeah. I always wanted to be Robin, never Batman. I'm Robin, sidekick, young kid. Uh, so I, next week, I started calling karate schools. And most of them weren't there. The ones that talked to me were kind of abrupt. But one guy took the time to talk to me, Walt Bone. And I asked him in the news, the um, Yellow Pages ad, it's a 1972 Kata champion. I said, what is this Kata stuff? He goes, oh, it's an imaginary fight sitting against multiple opponents, and I'm the U.S. champion. Oh, wow. But I tell you what, if you come into the school, it's a good idea to come watch one of our classes. You'll enjoy it. 
and you'll get an idea of what we're doing. Oh man, I can't wait. So my dad enthusiastically rounded up my brothers, Jim, Mark, and myself. We went to the school and we're in the bleachers. Before the class starts, this 16-year-old blue belt comes out. You know, in some buildings in the middle, they've got a support pole. This one was padded, so they didn't hurt. So he hit that thing with a back leg round kick a couple times, and the whole building shook. And I was <laughs> And then the instructor came over, Hank Farah. First time I ever saw actual abs, six-pack abs, except in comic books. Uh, he explained <laughs> that it was $25 a month, and there's a year contract. Dad said, that's it. We're out of here. We're done. So a few months later, I mean, I was really disappointed. A few months later, my brother and I out shooting baskets. Phone rings in the days we used to actually go in and answer the phone. I pick it up, and it's Debbie Bone. Hi, I'm Debbie Bone from the Florida Karate Academy. Just call in to see if you're still interested in training with us. Oh, I want to so bad. And I've made my case. My parents won't pay because I, I quit football last year. Uh, she goes, it sounds like you're really enthused. Why don't you come in and clean the dojo for your lessons? I was there the next day. And the, there's a lesson there for school owners out there. Had she not made that call, I wouldn't be standing here. I probably would have never gotten involved in martial arts. Whatever impact martial arts I've had or I've had, whatever that may be, would have never happened had she not made that call. And that was one of the first lessons that when I started working with school owners, I wanted to help them understand that there are conflicting goals when you mix an art and a business. Conflicting goals. One is, I know I need to pick up that phone and call these leads to see if they're still interested in training with us, just like Debbie did. The other side of you says, I'm a black belt now, and internally, I never want to be rejected again. So those are conflicting goals. And mm, the only way to succeed is to focus on picking that phone up, putting your ego aside, and making those calls just like the, she did, which landed me here today on the Real Talk with Mark Cox. <laughs> I'm proud to be here. Yeah, that's well, that's awesome, man. That's 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 quite a story. Now that's the first time I'd heard that story that you had. I always knew that you had. Uh, the adversity of being uh, an overweight kid. I know what that's like. And uh, I'm not sure how you dealt with that back in the day. You know, there, there was two types of fat kids, right? The jolly Ollie that kind of laughed at himself and joked around or the one that would just beat your ass. One of the, you know, it was either one of the two, right? And I was number two because I had just gotten sick and tired of it. And I found early on, I didn't have martial arts, so I didn't have a teacher. I didn't really start until I was in my 20s. That, wow, if I stand up for myself, this stuff stops. And uh doesn't mean it didn't continue talking in the background or or that, but I did know that that type of bullying was it physicality, uh, even that field, you know, so at least I didn't have to hear it, you know. So I remember, I remember totally being kind of a fat kid. And I never and, stood up for myself as a kid. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, it's uh, that was tough. That was tough. So you have a family now. You have a wife and children, correct, out there yeah, in Florida? My lovely wife and, and, and my my two kids are 18 and 20. Uh, they don't do martial arts. They've had very little interest in it through the years. They have taken some classes. But, I, you know, it's my belief that when you're raised in an atmosphere of violence and intimidation and a feeling where you don't have control, martial arts is very attractive to you because in a short period of time you can get that control and you can 
lower that risk. They never were exposed to that. So they, I mean, my, my son, who's 20, Alexander, he's just now starting to inquire about me training him in the Empower kickboxing system, which is not a fitness kickboxing program. It's a white to black belt martial arts program. But he's around all the time. He sees it. He watches the videos. He helps me shoot them and edit them. And he says, Dad, you know, I think maybe it's time for me to start to learn this stuff. So that's what's happening here in Tampa Bay, Florida. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, the same thing happened with my own children. So I've got I've got grown kids like you do. It's 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 a different you know, I've enjoyed every stage of my children's life, but the adult stage is a little bit different where Michael now is 28 and then uh, my other son's 25 and uh, 22 and a 20 year old daughter. Right. So I've got that same gamut. And but now Michael, he started as young and he continued on going through. He's the one that kind of helps me run the school now. But Daniel, my youngest, they all started and they all never finished. But Daniel just decided as a maybe a year and a half ago that I'm going to finish this up. I'm going to get this black belt that I started when I was a kid. And he did. And uh, now my other son saw that happen and goes, Dad, I think I need to I need to finish what I started. And I said, that's the lesson that's that's learned. Now, my daughter, not so much. You know what I mean? (laughs) Two older brothers take care of her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. It's just I, I understand that totally, um, you know, what that what that looks like and stuff. So, you know, we got you got started in your martial arts, but, you know, you're really known. There's I'm not sure if people really know that you have a fighting background and that you fought in the ring. I think you did that with your brother. Is that correct? Yeah. In fact, shortly before he passed at the at Battle of Atlanta, Joe Lewis, we were at a meeting of a, all the black belts there. It was really kind of a almost kind of like a send off for him, sort of say. But he, in front of the audience, he introduced me because I was making some kind of presentation, which I don't recall what it was. But he said, John, Jim, and Mark Graydon are the only three world champion kickboxers that are siblings. I didn't know that. I thought that was fascinating. And, and my research shows that that is indeed the case. So I was a Waco world champion and fighter, Waco world champion coach. My brother, Jim, who was probably the foremost authority on the Joe Lewis system. Jim has been teaching it for 30 years for a living in his school with all ages. So he, he is the guy to go to for that. And Mark, who's one of the best kickers ever. Now, Mark is 6'5", Jim is 6'4". I was probably meant to be 5'8", but they're <laughs> uppercuts. Because <laughs> Jim in particular would kill me. Jim had the eye of the tiger. I never had that, and I regret that because there was a Sometimes in the ring where I just it didn't it wasn't important at that moment for me. And now years later, I'm thinking, what was I thinking? But anyway, yeah, we were enthusiastically training very hard. Walt Bone was my first instructor. He was a point guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And Kata guy, big time Kata guy. So Kata was the focus of, of our training. And I was really good at Kata. And then some interesting things happened. One, his wife left him. Remember Debbie Bones? She called me that day while playing basketball. She left Walt for reasons you could find out in my book, Blood and Guts Dojo. Okay. Uh, then Joe Lewis flew to town to help Walt recover in 1978 for about uh, six months. Mm. So I remember on my first karate night driving to class, like dad pulls in to get some gas. I said, dad, do you mind getting this magazine? It was professional karate. On the back cover was that classic Joe Lewis flying sidekick. And I saw that and I went, oh, my 
goodness, that's a real superhero. That was the embodiment of everything I thought a martial artist could be. And then here it is 12 months later, and he's at the school teaching us. He First thing he did is he lined us all up and sparred us. And I was a good brown belt. And I'm thinking Joe Lewis, I thought, how can I kick him? He's defended against Super Bowl <laughs> Wallace's kicks. How can I? I mean, he just he trained with Bruce Lee. So we started sparring and he punched me. He goes, I hit you in the forehead so it wouldn't hurt so much. <laughs> I said, he's picking parts of my face. To hit. <laughs> Completely mind blown. So that was that was a trip. That was, that was pretty cool. That first class that I described when I saw the magazine was in 1974. In 1984, fast forward, I'm teaching on my own in the community. I didn't have a school, but I was teaching at the junior college. I was teaching teaching at uh, Walt Bones Old School, but not as an employee, more as an independent contractor type thing. And a rec center, and Joe Lewis moves to town. And Mike Anderson stays with Mike Anderson. Mike Anderson calls me and says, I want you to meet Joe Lewis. So we, we go meet Joe Lewis. And Mike says, I want you to sponsor a seminar for him so he can make some money. I never promoted anything like that before in my life. So I did a seminar. It was a big success. I handed Joe Lewis, my hero, $2,000 and said, you talk too much when you teach. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, no one's ever critiqued my teaching before. I said, if I'm going to charge a difference between a spectator fee and a participant pain, there's got to be a difference in the experience other than just being closer to you talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So um, he took me on as a, his personal training partner for the next decade. Unbelievable. And I think that really gained his respect quickly. I was, I was very honest with him. So we, well, we have a wonderful relationship. Just, yeah. You know, you know, it's, you know, what's sad is, is, um, you know, he was, you know, Benny Akitas and himself and all that were major players, Bill, Bill Wallace. And then when you talk about Joe Lewis, there's, unless you're a real student of the arts, some people don't. And I tell him, I said, you've got to go watch him fight. You got to go to Google him. And, you know, to, uh, I'm so glad that you're still out there to have his legacy, at least continue carrying, you know, what, what he was, but, I mean, what was it like to be trained by somebody that's a world-class fighter? I mean, this guy was a, whenever, you're right about how he talked. He talked quite a bit, but that guy was a student of fighting, man. He, that, that guy understood fighting angles and mindset. That brings up a great point, Mark, and I really want to tune everybody in on this. I want you to think about your state of mind when you began training in the martial arts. Joe Lewis was raised on a farm in Wilmington, North Carolina. He had two or three older brothers who were very rough and tumble. One ended up being a murderer and sent to prison. They, they, were, um, they were not the good kids in school. So Joe, as he came up as the youngest, was automatically one of the Lewis kids. He was, he was just immediately branded as being a bad kid. He told me that his father, who was a teacher, and his mother, I forget what she was, if he didn't get his work right correct, didn't get his schoolwork done, he would get beat. When he got it right, he would get beat again for not getting it right the first time. 
So he lied about his age and got went into the Marines in, at, at age 17, 18, right at that borderline time, and went to Vietnam. And he spent two years in Vietnam, but in that process, he was stationed in Okinawa. In Okinawa, he saw a karate demonstration and was intrigued. So he signed up for the classes, and if he couldn't practice that day, he would wait until everybody in the bunk went to sleep, and he would sneak off and go practice outside or in a big supply closet because he was so enamored with the arts. He got his black belt in three months at that school. Shortly after, the instructor tried to make a fool out of him as the big blonde American. And Joe picked him up and threw him across the dojo and walked out of the school. Went to another school <laughs> and he got a black belt there in four months. Now think about that, gang. Somebody mentions getting a black belt in a year and a half. Oh, that must be a McDojo. Well, this guy is training under someone who barely speaks English in the most traditional of all settings, and he gets two black belts in seven months. Bill Wallace got his black belt in something like nine months. Mike Stone got his in 14 months. I mean, it, it wasn't at all unusual for these guys to get their black belt in under a year, year and a half, because they were stationed in six-month periods of time. So... <clears throat> Mm -hmm. When he came back to the States, and I had video of this on the martial arts teacher, I'm sorry, the martial arts history channel, YouTube, YouTube channel. It's really cool. Shortly after coming back to the States, Black Belt Magazine filmed him doing kata in the park. And it is powerful, strong, real, pure kata. You can tell he is into it. He is in that state of mind that many of us have in the beginning which is complete acceptance of what we're being taught. And then he started fighting in tournaments. He went to the Junri Nationals to watch. He got there early because he's a good Marine. That's what he said to me. Junri saw him and convinced him to enter the tournament for five bucks. He entered, he won kata, fighting, and weapons. Came back the next year and did the same thing. And then the he destroyed everybody. He was the number one fighter in the country point fighting mind you 1960s 1970s point fighting right mm -hmm. goes to a boxing club in long beach california and they spank him it's it, it, he said i i felt defenseless because you know how martial arts teaches old step block chamber step block uh, how are you gonna do that against that how are you going to do that against a combination? Are you going to be? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. insanity. So they smashed him. He got, I mean, they beat him to the point that, and this is Joe, he kept going back to learn. He realized at that point that this stuff has no place in sparring or self-defense. They would beat him to the point where if he had a TV show coming up, like Merv Griffin or The Fall Guy, they would try to give him a black eye or bruise his nose so that they could say, oh, I did that to him because he was that easy to hit. And the weakest area for traditional martial arts, and I know you're going to get upset maybe, is defense, the ability to actually block an onslaught of punches. So that's kind of his career path. He went from this, his intelligence, and this is a real key point, instructors out there, intellectual curiosity 
Okay, I was taught in Okinawa, but this is how to block. And I was taught by a 10th degree master. But my experience is I just got my face smashed and they continue to smash my face at will. And I'm the world champion karate guy. Maybe I need to rethink that. And, and we have an obligation as martial arts leaders and teachers to always have an open mind to new experiences, an open mind to improve the experience of our students. And if you are rigidly connected to this theoretical self-defense type motion, then you are doing a disservice to your students until you do the research and make sure that this stuff makes sense. Because right now, as we're uncovering video of old films of the Japanese and Okinawan masters doing bunkai, it looks like that movie, Five Fingers of Death. Mm -hmm. Nothing makes sense at all. They hold punches out. Who holds a punch out? They hold a punch out so it can be blocked sometimes twice. They block a punch twice. Here's a test. Get with your buddy, stand within arm's reach, and just tell your friend, I'm going to tap you in the shoulder. Don't punch me. Don't block it. Just get away. All right, ready? Pow. They'll never get away. You'll get them every single time. Yet, my instructor taught me that when somebody's trying to kick me in the groin, first thing I do is cross my arms. Second thing I do is lower my center of gravity. Third, I step towards the kick, and then I execute the block. Does that make sense? I, I, you know, as intellectual curiosity, you have to always question what you're doing for true efficacy. And this is this is going back to the state of mind when you started learning. My first karate class, I'll never forget it. Walt Bone explained the straight punch. And I went, oh, that makes so much sense. First thing he taught us is that we have to protect our center line. Groin, solar plexus, throat, right? Turn it away. Oh, that makes sense in my 14-year-old mind. And it makes sense now. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And then a straight punch rather than, he called it going out into the planetary system and then finally getting to the punch. Because we're John Wayne haymakers, you know, we were raised, raised on that stuff. So that made total sense, right? So what do we do next? Spread your legs, get down real deep, hold your punch out. Now this is a complete contrast to everything he just taught us. Protect your center line. No, expose it to them. Snap, well, he did say a straight line, but where does it make sense ever to hold a punch in the air? Let me just hand this to you so you can grab it and do stuff to me. Where does it ever make sense to pull your hand back to your hip? I got to protect my hip. That makes no sense at all. Some people say, oh, the secret is you're not really pulling back. You grab them and it's a grappling technique. Well, why don't we just work on that and quit trying to play secret stories inside of a kata? So you're in this mindset. You start the training. You have this guy in a black belt, a master. And if he says, protect your center line. A straight line punch is better. Oh, wow, that makes really good sense. Because then it just seems that if he says, get into a horse stand, point your groin at your opponent and hold your hand out and put your other hand back to your hip. Well, it just goes to reason that that has to be true too.
And those are the lessons that stick and put a screeching halt to growth and evolvement as a martial artist. There are two types of martial arts schools. One, a style-centric school. Two, a student-centered school. If you will fail a student for not doing a kata correctly, you're a style-focused school. The purpose of your school is to perpetuate that kata. That has nothing to do with the student. However, if you have a curriculum that's constantly evolving and being tweaked to make it easier and more effective for the student, now you're doing a real service for that student and you're going to make a big change in their life quickly. Because over here, when you question kata, uh, you'll understand that later when you get to be black belt. That's the style. I'm perpetuating a style. It's by design meant to be frozen because your goal is to perpetuate the skills of that tradition. It's not meant to be evolved. So there's a huge contract there. And my goal, I've programmed, teaches this student-centered program called Empower Kickboxing. And I'm doing videos like this that our Empower Kickboxing schools will be able to share with their market that helps the market understand the difference between a style-centered school and a student-centered school. So all that came out of our work with Joe Lewis. All of that came out from, again, his intellectual curiosity, my intellectual curiosity, always digging, always hoping to improve, never getting and avoiding being stagnant. So you're saying you. So when I when I listen to all that, so Joe Lewis being a a, a phenomenal traditional martial artist, I guess is what we're going to call it, was able to transform even into uh, this uh, you know world champion kickboxer, correct? And I and there's a lot of things in there. I've had a school now for a long time, so I've always known that my my particular art <clears throat> was very weak in fighting and self defense. And I learned that when we did, I learned it when we did a huge seminar of all the schools and we had the Machados come and do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. And this is probably 20 some years ago, right? And this is a brown belt that showed up and he's still friends of mine today. And I was kind of the pit bull and I watched this guy tap every single person. We had 80 people there and I'm talking about. And I saw my, myself coming up. So, you know, everybody's rowing. Oh, Mark Cox is coming up, Mark. And I'm thinking to myself, in my head, I'm like, there is nothing I know to defeat this guy. I don't, I, I, and of course, yeah, I was tapped out. And that, that was mind changing for me. Even at that time, I said, okay, now, uh, I said, all my students that I have, I said, if they got taken to the ground, they're getting their ass kicked. That started a mind shift for me. Then Krav Maga came around 20 years ago. Huh, and, I hear about that by and how'd I hear about Krav? Mm, yeah. I think that was at that Nama show when they were all walking around in their black pants. And uh, I yeah. was and I watched their their demo and I was like, wow. And Darren Levine is just happened to be here in California. And yeah. his boss, you know, he's a you know, he's a, a defense attorney. Uh, I mean, not a defense attorney. He's a a prosecutor yeah, long, especially long, of long yes yeah especially of cop killers but his boss his boss at the time his kids took from me 
that's how he came to my school and that's how I started it. But I, when I went to a seminar, we did a gun seminar and I was like four hours in uh, somebody with zero experience. And then somebody was so-called master Cox, right? We're on the same level where if somebody pointed a gun in your face, you might have a chance. And I'm like, none of my students could do that. Yeah. If somebody pulls a gun in their face, none of them could do it. And that's yeah. how I, st- that's how I start. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, right. And I, and, it's hard because <clears throat> there's a tradition behind what we do. You know, the Chuck Norris system is what uh, it was where I, I started in Tonksado, right? And I'm totally different than all, most of, of the school owners, right? I'm just a, I, I've always thought that we were weak in self defense and I always went looking for it. And, you know, I, you'll probably remember the name Robert Bussey back in the day. You know, he was all about self defense. I mean, he was like before his time, but, you know, he, take you you eye gouging you know just a killer instinct and we lacked that we had a lot of miyagi no cobra kai and uh so now it's switched right now we got people wanting more cobra kai a little less miyagi but you know still knowing that you have to have this respect and stuff for for others and so it's it's interesting how you say Joe Lewis, I knew, was a phenomenal traditional martial artist. That's why he won and, and, and everything else. But he also understood that there's another side to things that you need to. Um, I've always felt that, me personally, I always felt that kata is a different type of focus. Uh, do, do I think that there's some, like even the side stances or whatever, if you're going to be doing squats in there and work on your hip flexor muscles so you can kick better, that's just a different thing, understanding how how that works. But there's no way you're taking high block and you're going to go into a street fight and do that because you're going to get rocked, okay? And so there's always that confusing thing, right, to try and keep your legacy alive and then have the reality of, of, of it, it's, it's hard. It's a very difficult call inside schools. I can tell you that it's not as hard as you think. And this is really an important point. Students don't notice the absence of something if what they're doing is working and interesting. So the time that we, first half of class, right? We'd all do this. Okay, let's get warmed up. Basics, downward block, step forward, punch, 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 turn, punch, right? Rising block, then you go up and down, right hand block, up and down, forearm block, up and down, side block, up and down, and then whatever the reverse advance thing was, up and down, right? Everybody starts their class that way. Then we do our kata. So what are the instructions? Get that punch, get that chin up, square your shoulders, hold that punch in the center, put that hand back in your hip, get into a deep balance, be one with the earth. And then they start to do the second half of the class where you get the pads out and you start to move around and spar. Now, what does the instructor say? Oh, move around. Keep your legs under you. Keep your hands up. Move your head. Tuck that chin down. Snap that punch back. Don't leave it out there. Well, which is, which is, if you eliminate that first half, no one is going to miss it. If it's replaced with exciting, interesting content that makes sense from the get-go, not one day when you earn black belt because if you earn black belt and what do they say oh that's just the beginning the east eastern mindset the eastern traditions the eastern culture has had the west 
in a hypnotic spell for decades. And that is why they buy into this stuff. Why we buy into this stuff. If the traditional guy you learn from, the guy that created Okinawan martial arts, right? Okay, Okinawan karate, whatever, whatever his name is. Doesn't make a difference to me at all. It, but if his name was Joey Buttafuoco from Brooklyn, do you think anybody would listen to him? Do you think he might be paying attention in these, oh, I've developed these katas, they're imaginary fight scenes against all these different opponents. John, Joey, hey, <laughs> no one's going to pay attention to the guy, but oh, I'm Master Wu. I designed these up in the mountains years ago. They're secret, but I'll teach them to you. You must take care of them. That is all a sales pick. That's, that's hypnotist. <laughs> I'm, I'm a trained hypnotist with over oh, 100 hours in NLP and hypnosis. I recognize hypnosis when I see it. That's all that is. How could you account for instructors that continue to do this knowing full well that it has just a tangential, just a little bit of benefit to the students? They say, oh, well, it helps with coordination. So does this. It helps with us. Uh, oh, squats, squats. Do squats. Oh, here's a good squat to do. Bang, bang. That's a front leg squat, but I'm learning boom, how to follow up with my opponent. Sweep, bang. So we get away from this, be one with the earth, break every rule I just taught you to where it's nothing but this. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. I just, to me, it's just intellectually clear, but we go into that state of mind when we started to learn this stuff. He's the master. He's a master of the martial arts. What that straight punch is true. Protecting your center blocks true. It's gotta be, it's gotta be true. What he says is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. That yeah, is I'm true. I'm passionate about this subject. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I, you know, and it, trust me, it's a, it's a battle. It's a battle between guys that, um, you know, have this traditional background, which I, which is where I started. I really, in my beginnings, I really wanted to do judo. That's what I wanted to do. And I couldn't find a good judo school. I wanted to know how to throw people. Right. And I wanted to go into competition and smash people. That's what I wanted to do. And, uh, and, and just throw them. I mean, I, I didn't have wrestling in high school, so I didn't really do anything. And I just wants what I wanted to do. And I couldn't find it. My brother started this Tongsudo and how he got how he got me, believe it or not, is a self-defense technique. When he came home one day, I'm eight years older than him and I'm bigger than him. And I, he goes, I can get out of your bear hug, Mark. And I picked him up and I squeezed him for all he had. And he bashed my head with this way, bloodied my nose. And I'm like, oh, huh, -uh, that's just not that's not happening. And that was how I really started. And of course, you know, we came up in a bit different, you know, sparring was. It was a different era back in the in the in the uh, early eighties. Gotta uh, ask you a question, quick question. Had he said, "Okay, kick me in the groin," would the <laughs> same experience have happened? No. No. And no. You have just laughed at him and never joined. That's well. That's true. So you know, my my instructor showed that, and then you know, back in those fighting days, man, it was no it was no contact. I mean, you had to be kind of a tough dude to to do sparring back in those days, and. You know, we didn't really do a lot of uh, um, of that of that stuff. You know what I mean? And so, trying to keep a legacy for my instructor, why is uh, I don't know. I just feel that that's my obligation as his highest ranking student. 
I don't know. It's well, just my obligation is to your students. Yes. Well, my students now listen. Yeah, I, 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 yes, I'm the different, I'm the different guy. Now, listen, I, I, I'm, I might keep some of his traditions alive, but I am a fighting school and I always have been. And self-defense has always been on my forefront. I don't, I don't really, I don't play in those arenas. I, I, you know, I like to fight. I like to grapple. I like to uh, do self-defense. That's why it was a great fit. Most of the, uh, most everything we've done in Krav Maga has already been imported into what I do. I like the mindset of you look at me wrong and you touch me. I'm going to touch you back hard and then still be able to have a uh, uh, responsibility to, uh, like you said, like we'll talk about it at the end of the responsibility of what self-defense can and cannot happen to you once you, once you decide to engage. Uh, I think that there's, I think I, I've done a lot of things with autistic children I think that's where a lot of times uh, repetitive stuff um, puts stuff in their mind. I've done things with kids in wheelchairs where we where we tried to get them just to have some coordination to tap, tap, tap this. And it's been so I think that there's uh, there's definitely a, a debate that can happen, uh, good or bad. But and you always bring really good points to that to that forefront and. Uh, it's, it's a battle. Trust me. It's a battle with, even within our little organization, especially now you got to remember most of my guys, most of my students all do teach Krav Maga now also in their schools. So, uh, and they, and they like the fighting. Most of all my guys came to me for the fighting part of it. So I, I get what you're saying. So I don't know now when you started, so let's go to, so we went from here where, where you're talking about what you've, what you've done, but you were a super pioneer Back in the day, John, when we listen, when we first opened up a martial arts school, right? And we had no idea. We thought we did have the magic black belt. So you were just automatically going to do what we say. That's right. You bow, you pay homage when you step in the door. And I think that there's a there's a place for respect and and, and especially for children today, because they don't even know how to say yes, sir. I like to just knock them upside their head half the time. Uh but then it's like we can't keep our doors open because we're not making any money. So I'm cleaning pools uh, on the side trying to teach Miss Martial Arts. And I six months into me doing this, I'm like, OK, I, I've got a gift to teach, but I still got to do another job or or the other thing, John, was, oh, you're going to charge us for that. You're going to why would you charge like there was a stigma as a martial arts instructor that we're supposed to just give back to everybody and we're not really supposed to have a living doing what we do um you know where doctors will save your life on the operating table i'm going to save your life when somebody points a gun in your face right and uh, without that now we don't do high block with guns um okay i just saw one today that's doing it though i was like you got to be kidding me with this shit um so uh, then all of a sudden I, I, I was telling you right beforehand, we met you at this, uh, Andrew Wood had this, I don't know if it was how to make a hundred, was it, I, I can't remember, right. How to make a hundred thousand dollars a year in martial arts, but you had a small table and you had something similar, but you see the difference between you and Andrew Wood back in those days, you were one of us. You see what I'm saying? You weren't just a paper pusher. You're not just a, a marketing guru. You were a fighter. This is what intrigued most of us. Okay, more, was like more trophies in Kata than I did fighting. So, right, but you're still one of us. Then, fighting Joe Lewis, 
you have you know, martial artist, a black belt, not this. I don't know. You, you know, you know what I'm talking about. When Andrew used to have things, he would be in this. So this brand new white uniform out of the with a black belt that looks like a boat. I'm like, oh, my God, come on with this. And you just happen to have that. And then you you created NATMA, National Association for Professional Martial Artists. We were never called professional. Tell me what made you decide to do that and where you decided to be the pioneer to help students. Uh, I mean, studio owners go. What? Where did that come from? I saw a major gap between what people were teaching and how they were presenting it to the public. So I wrote a book called Black Belt Management, a guide to success without selling out. What about that title is the most important part? Guide to success without selling out because I know martial artists and they much like any other artistic community are the starving artist mentality. Oh, I sacrifice my paintings. I teach ballet so that I can just help the children. It's <laughs> yeah. no different. Absolutely no. It's a starving artist mentality. Most professional martial artists, now this is a key point. You can come out of college with an MBA and open a martial arts school, and you can come out of prison and open a martial arts school. Of that spectrum, it's more in this direction. So typically, when someone opens a martial arts school, they don't have an education in business. I did not. I'm a high school dropout, just to be clear. So am I. I'm right there with Well, I didn't high school dropout, but close. So the, the confusion, often when you're raised in a lower to middle income family, like I was and like virtually most I mean, 95% of these guys have been, you hear things like, oh, he's got more money than brains. Oh, the secret of that the, the root of all evil is money. And, and, and these people with money are painted as being bad people. That's just an excuse for your parents because they're not providing as well as they'd like to. So they end up blaming the people that have more than they do. That's not helpful. That doesn't get you to where you need to go. So I knew that in order for me to get these guys to listen, I had to align and redirect straight from Aikido. That's the line. How to achieve success without selling out. Then I started a seminar tour, and it was very successful, but every seminar started the same. The guy would sit back here, and this guy's going to talk about making money in martial arts. Ha ha, that's a commercial. He must be a McDojo. So I had my presentation peppered with alignment statements. For instance, in order to write this book and create this system, I had to visit schools all over the country. I visited Japanese karate schools, Okinawan karate schools, even ninja schools. I couldn't see them, but I knew they were really, <laughs> that's the response. <laughs> right away, I would get a laugh, which meant they're starting to realize, oh, he's one of us. And then I would, through the rest of the presentation, Drop little snippets and only a real dedicated martial arts will understand. So that was the key. It was not to um, kind of embarrass them into it. I would say that like, to a degree we've seen before where the guy's got the Ferrari and he's showing how rich he is. And he kind of embarrasses people into going to his seminars. I came from a point of being, I love this stuff. I want more people, people to do it. And I want you to be paid well 
in order to teach it. So then at one of these gigs, there was a company called Independent Funding Company in Texas. Larry Doak and Rick Bell, great guys. Remember them well. Yeah, they really helped me tremendously. I was at a one of these seminars hosted by the, the IFC in Las Vegas, 300 people there. At the end of it, Larry Doak, the owner, calls me to the stage. He walks up to me with a box of business cards, pulls one out. It says, John Graydon, president, National Association of Professional Martial Arts. He goes, John, you're the only person that can do this. That was it. That was that was the beginning. That was the genesis of NAPMA. The following week, I put together, I recruited a really good art director. So our ads and our newsletters were better than anything everybody's seen before. I put together a video with three 20-minute segments, one on teaching, one on management, one on marketing. You had a pre-designed newsletter in there, and then just information on how to grow your school. $99 a month. I sent out 750 free to schools through IFC. 150 joined the following week. And within a few years, I had 2,200 members, and I was hosting a massive conference every year here in Florida. That's where... I introduced Krav Maga to the world. In fact, was in Clearwater Beach at one of these. That these you, you exactly. That is one hundred percent. You did a lot of things. What you introduced back there, you, you really bring back some old names, Larry Doak, Rick Bell, and they were pivotal. And uh, we did just what you said. We waited for checks. We let people stop. They did the first, you know, independent funding company was the first time that it called Easy Pay back in the day. Oh right, I forgot about okay. that. Right. And they're the ones that taught us how to do it, you know, but we had to wait 30 days for our money. It was so new. Right. So how that all worked. And uh, Larry Doak and Rick Bell, matter of fact, when I went and saw them one time, they picked me up in a, in a plane. They had their own plane. Right. And I'm thinking they're taking me to Sherman, Texas. I'm doing a, a braking thing for them. And there's this jet and this this little puddle jumper. And I'm like, it's got to be the jet. No, it, it, it wasn't. It was a little puddle jumper. And I was like, oh, my God. And I remember, so I was one of your recipients, right? And so were all my school guys that did it underneath you, this $99. And because of you, John, you're right. We went to Clearwater all, every year for your turn, for your conferences and listened to where um, where all this started. And we used to, I, you know, I used to, I used to buy a table. And we would one year we were doing banners for everybody. This is how we paid to go to the conference. I would buy a table and sell weapons and banners and make them right then and there so that wow. we could fly and be there. I don't know if you know that about me. That's You're why I every good. year, cool. every year Thank I bought a table. It wasn't about making money. It was about paying for that conference so that we can sit in that conference. And Bo and I would go. And that's how I did. It. And that's how I met all these people. And then that's where we saw also. Um. Oh gosh, I can't remember his name, but he came up with a very easy website. Remember, you the one that launched him too, the to have a, a professional martial artist website Hirsch that was Sandu. super. What's that? Hirsch Sandu. Yes, web and something. I yes, web something. Yes, very and it, it was awesome, right? And uh, and so <laughs> he was like, that was that was monumental where somebody like me that had nothing, it was so set up that you can pick what template you want. Boom. And all of a sudden you have a professional looking martial artist website that you've never seen. And it was something like $49 for the month or something, something yeah. just yeah. right. 
you launched that. That was launched at NAPMA at Clearwater. You brought Krav Maga in. I remember those guys. I remember them all walking with Black. Then when you watched them freaking do their thing, you're like, this is something like way new. And of course, back in the day, most most traditional guys too were like, oh, that's a bunch of fluff. That's a bunch of bullshit. You know what I mean? I remember that too because I was one of those guys until I went – you know, because you don't want you don't want to be heard that your your stuff is is sucks and it's not going to work against real attacks. You didn't want to hear that. And until I went to the seminar and I found out myself, I'm like, hey, these guys are for real. Matter of fact, they're there. When Krav Maga came in, the way they practiced, the intensity, I said, if you're not going to adopt that, adopt the intensity of what they do into your traditional classes because it's going to turn a corner for sure. So you started this NAPMA thing, and we were there, John, for for years and years. As a matter of fact, we used to go. There's a certain hotel, a Roach Hotel, that we would stay at. We would go to Walmart right next door, grab a TV so we can have something for the booth that weekend, and then bring it back to Walmart to get our money back right before we left on an airplane. (laughs) This is what we used to do because we were so wanted to be there, but we only had so much money. So we had money. And then, you know, having to, to to fly the plotter out there and and do signs. I did magnetic signs for people's cars. I, I This is all self-taught. I was able to self-teach myself, all that oh, kind of stuff cool. right there. And that's how we went to Clearwater every single year. And, oh, and great venue. Clearwater Beach is beautiful. Yeah. And it was it was fun. It was fun going down there. And so. You know, you, you, and I remember uh, people that's on here now, you know, as you guys may not remember, but we had, um, um, this is one of my students that's saying, uh, Frankie, but he said in the eighties, Rick Bell had an awesome studio in his hometown. Uh, he was from Texas too, that he was an awesome kickboxer too. Rick Bell was a cool dude. Uh, well, he still is. Hopefully both those boys are still with us. But, um, so anyway, you're, you're this NAPMA thing came and I, we used to get a box every month, right, from the post office, NATMA. There'd be DVDs. As a matter of fact, we had so much of that up in my attic from all your NATMA times. And I said, look at this stuff. This is stuff. This is just this is a, a museum of what we had nothing like this. All this work was done. And all we did is plug in our names. Right. And then then do things that way. And then Terry Brumley, who is my, my real mentor. And I, I went to Texas to see him and said, Hey, I'm going to close these doors. But you know, that that's where he kind of taught me how to have a class, how to, how to relate, how to, how to be what, what you are. And, and all this, your NAPMA, all that kind of stuff. We, we had it for years and it was, it was uh, awesome for us as, as studio owners, just so you know, that, it made a huge difference in us. So I know some adversity came with NAPMA and I, I saw it. I saw it have to leave in, in kind of an unfair way uh, that it was taken away from you. And so, you know, everybody counted John Graydon out. John Graydon was the name of all this, uh, how to make money in the martial arts world and keep the tradition of, of being a real martial artist intact. This is what you were known for. Why? Because you were one of us. You were a fighter. You were a black belt. You you just, you were one of us. And so it was easy to follow. And so you had this adversity. I remember this. I remember when this happened to you. And I remember saying to you, what's, what's going to happen to John? Uh, what, what's going to happen with him? 
And so um, here we are. You got this huge adversity. Why don't you talk about how you decided to take that on and how you came out of it? Uh, it was a, a terrible time in my life. What had happened was that one of the employees that I hired designed a flyer. My last words to him about it, just don't get a suit. That was the only comment. And Century Martial Arts ended up finding something that they disagreed with in the uh, ad or whatever it was, a flyer, and they sued us. And one of the techniques that they did, it was really disruptive in many different ways. They would sue from so many different angles and with so much, it's called interrogatories. These are demands for presentation. It's stuff that you have to, in the court, present. And the idea is that you keep the person on their heels from getting sued and all the expense and legal time and money, in addition to having to dig through all kinds of files to present stacks of these uh, demand demands, record demands, that it takes your life over. And for three years, and, and to this day, I despise, I have a visceral response to the sound of a knock on the door or a doorbell. I hate that sound. It is like nails on a door for me. <laughs> yeah. I remember wrestling around with my son, Alexander, who was probably six at the time, and we were playing on the floor and all of a sudden somebody banged on my door. John Garden, John Garden there? I said, no, nobody lives here by the name of John Garden. And he left. Was, he was trying to serve me with something else. It was, it was unbelievable. It, it was, uh, I, and, and this is, a lot of this is on me because I was naive. I had a $3 million a year company that was helping a lot of people. And my level of influence, I think, was getting to the point where it was becoming a concern. Specifically, one editorial that I wrote that I know raised the um, concern of some of the suppliers. And that's a editorial where I wrote that the martial arts uniform is the ugliest fitness uniform in history, which it is. I mean, it makes no sense to ask women to put on an outfit that puts 20 pounds on them. And I mean, we're not in Okinawa in 1920, okay? Remember, we won the war, okay? Just, just to be clear, <laughs> we don't have to live like they live. We're not trying to be Asian. This is not adult Halloween. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that really raise some concerns. I'm not going to go into the details of what they sued about. It's all online. I think there's a, but, but one thing they had to do is look for, and it took them two years to find somebody that would testify that they changed their business because of that flyer. They took their business away from Century to another company uh, because of that flyer. And it took them two years to find somebody. And it's always questionable to this day as to whether or not that's a true statement. But either way, it was a nightmare and it was awful. But you know, you, you, I'm not one to crawl in the corner and say you win. I started to immediately plan what's next. And what's next was literally the week after it all went down and I lost the company. And I think they, okay, so, so the, 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 the trial's over. I'm sitting with my attorney in the hallway. The jury's going over it. They're all from Oklahoma. And then you hear this guy say, Excuse me, we're going to need a calculator. Those <laughs> <laughs> are the worst words I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and that's that's one of the chapters of my new book, uh, Two Do Battles Wisely, is we're going to need a calculator. Well, this story is told. So anyway, um, they got a judgment of $1.7 something like that. 
wiped the, com the company out. I ended up having to sell it to them in bankruptcy court. So it became a, a, a true nightmare. And again, I remember when it was all done, I went home, grabbed my son and took him to the park and we played on the swings. But I formed, I, I could see the world was going online. So I essentially took the concept of NAMA and took it to the martialartsteachers.com website, Martial Arts Teachers Association, which has been fantastic for 20 some years. It has supported my family. Thank you all the members out there. Right now, the primary focus is on instructor training. There's no shortage of business training, I don't think, anymore. When I started, there was a shortage. There's a big shortage of real teaching education, not style education, not certification that comes from showing you know the kata, but an independent certification that's not based on style or systems, but instead based on psychology and psychology and one other thing, I forget what the other one is, <laughs> psychology and something. Anyway, it was designed by 18 different PhDs in various and, and leaders in various areas like communication, child psychology, uh, pedagogy, which is the art and method of teaching. Uh, but they were all black belts as well. Even Brian Tracy, who was a black belt instructor. Yes, he was. A, a chapter mm -hmm. of the program. So it's not coming from me. It's not coming from any one source. This is universally recognized teaching programs and ideas that you can take into your classroom. For instance, these are the kind of things that your instructor will never teach you. Should you, is it a better idea to ask the class a question and then pick a student out? Or is it better to pick a student out and ask the question out loud in front of the class? So it's question first, or question class, or question student. What are the ramifications of each? Now think about this. If I turn and ask Joey, what does integrity mean? Well, now all the pressure's on Joey, right? <laughs> Everybody's waiting for his answer. But if I ask the class, what's the definition of integrity? Who can tell me that? Everybody in the class is now thinking, what's the definition of integrity? Because they don't know if you're going to call on them or not. So that's a dynamic. It's a big dynamic change there. Nobody learns this in the Blackboard exam. You only get this kind of information at modestcertification.com. It's a very simple process. It's completely online. It's inexpensive. And I really encourage you to check out modestcertification.com because you will learn things that you'll learn things you didn't know that you didn't know. <laughs> you'll find basically what you you'll, you'll learn what you didn't know that you didn't know. So, so let me let me I'm gonna let me put that down again. Let me what's it called? Mod Mata certification, M-A-T-A certification.com. And it is a 100% online course. We have people enrolling every week and the praise is through the roof. Yes. So I put that out there so everybody can see that now. Okay. So I got Mata certification.com. Okay. So that's great. You know, that's funny. As long as I've been with you, I, I, how did I not go uh, and see that? I had to have seen that. I'll, I'll look back on my notes here after we get done. So this is so modest certification is something that you've put together so uh, to help teachers become better teachers. Correct. There is no universal standard for teaching. Typically, people come up in their style. They learn the techniques of the style, and then they mimic their instructor. 
for years until they develop their own voice. I have a chapter on that in the truth about the martial arts business called finding your own voice. But I had this concept back in 1995 when I still had NAPMA, and I called it at that time the ACMA, the American Council on Martial Arts. John Corcoran helped me put the whole thing together. It was so successful. Joe Lewis, Bill Wallace, June Rhee all flew to Dallas, Texas to take the first course without me paying them to do so. Chuck Norris then came to the course and talked to the class, endorsing the program, how great a program this is, great idea this is. And I, we were at the Cooper Institute of Aerobic Training, which is one of the premier medical science study facilities in the world in Dallas, Texas. Texas. Dr. Kenneth Cooper is the man who coined the term aerobics. He is the personal doctor to the Bush family and many uh, big time uh, celebrity type uh, patients. But they were so impressed by the course that they offered it through their catalog and I would fly to Texas and teach this every four or five months or so. So it was a massive hit and it was a, a victim to the century thing for a while until I was able to resurrect it uh, as the modest certification program. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, well, that's, the, that's, that's a great story. So when, you know, you have one quick story that's funny. My, my instructor that I have at Simi Valley now that helps kind of run that school. When he first saw, I have this old <laughs> cardio kickboxing certification. Cardio karate. That car cardio karate. You, you did something in Long Beach or something to that effect. There was 10 million people at this thing, okay? And he's like, wait a minute. He goes, I have that same certificate. And I said, no. And he goes, I do. I I was at that Long Beach thing. I said, what a small world. So he did that same. I mean, he were back in the day. Uh, you know, I don't know if it was before or after Billy Blanks that we're doing cardio karate. I mean, we had that thing hopping at one time. Uh, that's just another thing that you had under, un, you know, that you had started. And you've just been a, a pioneer for so many things. And, and and now we talked we talked briefly a little bit before before we got on air together. And, you know, we talked about, you know, what we've learned in life as we've gotten to be older martial artists and. So I think that's going to take us into our last segment that we'll talk about here is your book that you have coming out. Let's talk about what that's going to look like and uh, and and what that's going to entail, what you what what you've learned after all your years here. I am taking 45 plus years of martial arts training. I'm 60 years old. I started on February 12th, 1974. I knew from that first night I was going to do this for the rest of my life. Thank goodness I've had such a wonderful career, and I'm here with you right now. <laughs> uh, so I knew I was going to do this. So through the years, and I explained the century thing, and, and I was, like I said, I was so naive. I couldn't believe that one martial artist would actually do this to another martial artist, that you couldn't work things out. They just had to come in with the, like the big bombs, you know, in, in, in World War II. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was Pearl Harbor. And it, it could have all been avoided. I just I couldn't believe that. But that that there were a lot of lessons there, and there are a lot of lessons in come, being a high school dropout, leading the martial arts into the modern area era with you know business ideas and strategies, combining that with what happens in the classroom. So there's a, a synergy there 
this, I've lived a wonderful life. It's been so full. And I know I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, but I want to bring the perspective of a veteran martial artist who's had an unusually blessed life and career. I want to share what I've learned through this book, and it's called Choose Your Battles Wisely. And there'll be a podcast attached to it as well. And I've got really good guests already lined up on that podcast. The first guy that jumped in was um, Mike Stone, veteran martial arts guy who awesome guy i got i've worked out with mike stone yeah he's a a great guy he was a motivational speaker for a long time he's uh uniquely successful in his own right but it's not martial arts based it's just that's going to kind of be the framework that i see the world through and i can't help it when i share in these various uh, chapters and chapter one you don't see dirt so this opens up i'm 15 years old this girl from art class was going to come over after school just to visit. I'd never hosted or spent time talking to a girl before. I was chubby. I had a silver tooth. So I sprinted around the house, emptying my parents' overflowing ashtrays, trying to clean the house up. I even washed the front door. And she came over, and I have no memory of what happened. There was nothing romantic by any stretch. So fast forward seven, eight years, I'm an adult. I'm living with this girl in St. Pete. Uh, and she says to me one day, you don't see dirt. I said, what do you mean? You don't see dirt. And then I immediately thought of this. On the day that I washed the front door at my house, my parents came home and thanked me for painting the front door. It was originally a bright blue, but over time it just got dirtier and dirtier to the point where when I just cleaned it, it looked like it had been painted. So I I didn't see dirt and had that girlfriend of mine that I was living with 10 years later been in the house at the same time, she would have pointed that out. So that door is filthy. And the point of that story is not that I had, you know, two girls in the room at the same time. (laughs) It was was that the book and my work now is to try and help people, particularly young people, see the dirt in their life. They're driving on the highway and their windshield is covered in dirt and mud and they can't really see through it. It makes it hard to see where they're going. And my job is to help them see the dirt, cleanse the dirt from their life so they have a clear picture moving forward because clarity is key. Yeah, that's, that's going to be awesome. I'm looking real forward to that. Uh, John, I, I, and you know, I've, I made contact with you a few months ago because I, you know, right. I called you about uh, Joe Lewis. I said, Hey man, I want to get some more of his fighting concepts. And then you said, listen, you you need to go. And and then I joined uh, your organization again. And, it's been fun watching videos again and, and being able to uh, even take take your knowledge, Joe's knowledge to you, then you to, to me and then out to my students and just how to be a better fighter and 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 attack life. You know, it's it's we are the same age. And uh, so we've we've been uh, you've been around the martial arts a little bit longer because you started as a younger kid. I, I didn't start until the very around 81, maybe is when I really started uh, my martial arts training. So I was already 20. Uh, or something to that effect, 19, 20 years old. And uh, so, I mean, I've been, I've chewed a lot of dirt and I've have, 
you know, well over 700 black belts underneath me as it is. And you've been a major part of my success. Just so you know, I've always had tremendous respect for you. Um, and so when you okay to come on the podcast, I was like, this is awesome. Cause I don't really know. Now, do you have your own podcast also? Do you have, do you do a podcast? It's called the truth about the martial arts business. And you can find it at matapodcast.com. has some, actually some of my older interviews with Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy and Bernard Carrick, who was the uh, police commissioner during nine 11. He was with uh, governor Giuliani all day long. And he's a, no black belt as well, so he's gracious enough to give me an interview. So there's some really good stuff. Yeah, that I'm I'm going to go check that out today because I, I really didn't know about that. Now that's another thing we you know these hours go by so quick. We're already at an hour and ten minutes, and you know there's a whole nother gamut of stuff that you started and pioneered. One of them being getting on TV, right? Almost like a talk show for for martial arts. And when you had a school, you got to talk to Tony Robbins, which would be something that I would always love to do. You know. Uh, that would been uh, that would been a great a great time. I I I got some questions for him. I'd like to ask for sure, and all the other people that you got. So I'm going to go take a look at that today. I'll make sure that all this guys uh, is on uh, on show notes. I'll make sure that when you guys go to the website, you look under John, uh, you'll be able to see all his stuff, his contacts, what he has, his podcast. Uh, also, John, uh, by end of day at some point here, there'll be an audio version of this. Okay, so. I have a YouTube channel that's Real Talk with Mark Cox. And then, of course, our Facebook Live that we're here uh, doing right now. Uh, so you'll be able to see. I'll send you all the links to what you have so you can put this out here. I, I really feel I'm going to push this out to a lot of my martial artists. I think I've learned uh, a tremendous lot again today. Of course, you rattle more stuff in my head, stuff that I've, I've thought about for many years. Um and so, you know, you always kind of push that envelope. I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, that's one thing I like about you, because, you know, you really don't care about ruffling feathers. You know what I mean? You don't give a shit. It's awesome. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to say what I feel. And, you know, a lot of people agree with you, but they do not want to say it. You know what I mean? They they there's 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 something about it right now in our time. People are so give it to me now and they want it now. That empower kickboxing a program like that gives it to them now and traditional martial arts doesn't and folks it's really a lot easier to ride the horse in the direction it's going so check out empower kickboxing yeah yeah so i'm part of that empower kickboxing you know we 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 talk about this in our meetings also you know i don't know john maybe one day i'll get you down here maybe i just fly you out here and you can uh, we've got plenty of school that would come and, and, yeah. and we work out a little bit, do some of that. Uh, see, that's the thing about you. See, as everybody out, you know, when he, for you guys that are watching, you get to see him. He's always been like this. He's animated. He likes to stand up. He likes to throw. And when you watch him throw, you're like, oh, he knows how to throw a punch. That's the, yeah, he, he doesn't talk fluff. It's awesome, right? And just being able to know that you got to uh, spend time with Joe Lewis and, and learn from him. You know, and then you hear stories. Isn't it? Isn't it awesome how adversity is what grows us? Adversity is what makes us. You know, it's not our it's not our wins, right? It's not our wins. It's our adversities that that produce the wins, right? The no, uh, you knock me down, I'm going to come back tenfold. Knock me down again, I'm going to come back twentyfold. And listening to Joe Lewis, he obviously had the same kind of mindset. Go to a boxing suit just like I did when I did, first did grappling. and got my ass handed to me, right? I still get my ass kicked uh, at 60 years old doing jujitsu, right? Because that's my, kind of been my new, my new love again. That's cool. That's and, 
right? And then you, so you get, you know, you get Joe to say the same thing. I'm getting the boxing studio and listen to his adversity. He's like, well, I'm just going to keep on going in and get my ass kicked until I kick everybody's ass. I mean, just the mindset is just awesome. And you've had that same thing probably from your instructors uh, that you hang around. You hang around men that that uh, and women that have that same mindset. You're going to have the same mindset. So it's been a r- super pleasure, John. I couldn't I, I couldn't uh, we, we can do this probably again. You know, I think maybe we'll do it again when your book comes out, because then we can talk about the book. That's right. Awesome. And yeah. uh, I think that would be be awesome because we can't even get into everything that you've done. But I'm telling you right now, John, I've got very I've got quite a few studios that will be listening to the podcast that were underneath me. And your legacy and your your starting of what what business was uh, that all that's been shared to them because you Natma was a huge impact to us to be more professional looking as martial artists. Right. And now, now, you know, moving forward and what you've learned in your 45 years, you've been a, a tremendous asset to the martial arts world. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, I wish we were closer where we could be a little bit closer friends, but you know, maybe you and I can, uh, start more dialogue where I can, uh, pick your brain a little bit more, you know, two 60 year old, old guys, uh, talking about how we can still thump 25 year olds is a good day. That's <laughs> so that's good. Well, I appreciate you, John. This will be out on audio. Um, this will be out on audio uh, by end of day. So you can share links. Both of those guys are driving. We'll be able to hear the audio of this. Uh, if you if they want to be able to watch it to be on my YouTube channel, I'll make sure on all our show notes how to get a hold of you, how to look for things. And uh, and we'll welcome you back when your book comes out. Sound good? Great. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, John. It's great, man. You've been listening to Real Talk with Mark Cox. Real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, and coming at it from a real angle. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at MarkCox100. Make sure to subscribe and review. And tell a friend or two about the show. For more, hit up the website at MarkCox.com. Till next time, keep it real.